Welcome to Gas Cats, a podcast for whiskey, about whiskey. I'm Luke. My co-host is Jordan. Hello. Technically, I'd say I'm the main host and you're like... I'm like the assistant sub-host, maybe? You're like the assistant sub-host minus negative class. Yeah, that could be me, yeah. Um, Oh, well, you take the lead then. Yes. So today we're talking about Dalmore. Dalmore is a whiskey. They have a deer on the front. Technically, I'm assuming a stack. Depends on when the antlers fall. Um, Because... And that's why all the reindeer in Santa's sleigh are female, because they wouldn't have antlers if they were men. We don't know. I've never asked. So we're talking about Dalmore. You, um, interesting fact, gave me a whiskey glass last night. That was not from Dalmore. No, but it was, I, I have my own whiskey glass now. Yeah, you do. Have you brought it with you? Uh, no, I'm going to use it for candles. <laughs> um, it's pretty cool. It's like round. So Dalmore. Right, because I am I'm high energy today. We got okay, that so high energy. Dalmore, take it away. I'm on. I'm on. Hang on. I am on the edge of my seat. Cool. Do you want to move back now? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. It's not very comfortable actually. The edge of your seat. So Dalmore, interesting distillery. Um, they the one uh, I like. Yep. And that's the episode, folks. <laughs> it's a minimalist episode. You know, you you paint the picture for yourself. The one we're particularly reviewing today has been aged for 15 years. At least 15 years. Uh, in an American white oak and their styles of... Three styles. Sneaky wood. Sherry wood. <laughs> sneaky wood, though. I like that. I like it. You know, it's creeping. It's just... Uh, Some, like, stealth mo- music. Yeah. So, you know what? I feel like I've covered all the subjects, so I'm going to let you um, do what you think needs to be said. Okay, fair after, enough, fair after enough. After I've given the important information, yeah. you know, I've set the tone. You've set all the bullet points out. It's yeah. my job now to just, you know, reiterate what you've already yeah. said. It's like, if they haven't You need learned, to know I'm learning. Yeah, exactly. If they haven't learned from what I've said, then you're not reading between the lines. And if you're not reading between the lines, then are you reading at all? Well, not in an audio format, no. Yeah, but you can get, like, transcripts. If you listen to an audio book, does that count as you reading a book? No, you're listening to a exactly, book. Exactly, so there we go. But if you read the book along with the audio book, then yes. Uh, today we will be talking about a distillery, one of the most iconic bottle designs I can think of, and that is the Highland Distillery of Dalmore. Is really? Is it an iconic... I mean, let's look at that stag for a second. Yep, I think I'll name that stag... Hmm. I was going to go with Charles, but I name a lot of stags You know the Charles. stag had a name before you named it, right? Sorry, what's your name, little buddy? Oh, Herbert. Nice. Of the Herbert Stags. Well, obviously of the Herbert Stags. Can you imagine if it wasn't Herbert of the Herbert? Ugh, that would be embarrassing. It's also known as the bottle with a pretty stag on it. That's how I describe it every time. Yep. Um, So, Dalmore Distillery. It was actually founded back in 1839 by a gentleman named Alexander Alexander Matheson. A lot of Alexanders, but I already did that joke last week, so... (laughs) Very true. Yes, we had uh, Gordon McPhail last last time, didn't yes, we? So, yes. Uh, yes, of course, we had uh, Alexander McPhail in there and we had the whole joke. So we don't need to reiterate that yeah. ever again. Mm, I mean, I'm going to because, you know, you know how much I enjoy Alexander the Great things. Um, Temple of Artemis burnt down the day he was born. Wow. Alexander's life was just full of flames, apparently. Yeah. Plutarch said um, that Artemis was too distracted with his birth to save her temple. Well, and can you blame us? One of the wonders of the world. It's been rebuilt like four times. I think that's the real wonder. Where did they get the funding for? However, it was in the 1860s when the Mackenzie clan, um, they actually uh, purchased the distillery that it really begun to take shape. Now, The, the clan? Ma- yes, the clan Mackenzie. Okay. 
I didn't know if you used the wrong word. And the Mackenzie clan, they were actually very influential around this time. You see, what happened was uh, a member of the clan actually saved King Alexander III, another Alexander, right there. Wow. I'm going to run out of facts by the time this episode's over. You know, I feel like you teach them about whiskey, I'll teach them about Alexander the Great. And those things merge so seamlessly. He never found that library card. <laughs> Stop. Do not. I'm not... <laughs> I hate Caesar so much. <laughs> Sorry, it was a member of the McKinsey clan who uh, saved King Alexander III from being gored by a stag during a hunting trip, when, as a reward, they were granted a lot of lands around where the Dalmore distillery happens to have been built. But also, King Alexander III granted them the right to have a 12-pronged ha- stag... <laughs> 12-pronged hag? Now, that'd be a different version, wouldn't it? Wow. Uh, a 12-pronged stag as their clan crest. Now, this was something that only royal appointment could be done. Oh. Uh, 12 prongs is very, very uh, important in iconology, apparently and it was only granted as a reward kind of by the king to be allowed to use this. Now, when the Mackenzies took over Dalmore, they brought with them this iconic stag design and it's actually stayed on the bottles yeah, ever since. I was just counting the uh, yes. the ones. Um, I mean, today, actually, if you do count the bottle design stags, I think they do have 12 prongs on them a lot. Oh. Um, but there are often different designs and things like that. It was more the use of it actually as a uh, clan symbol that was so vital at the time. You know, I feel like being gored by stags and uh, and boars and stuff was very common back in the day. I believe that did happen to Alexander the Great's father. I genuinely think it did. I can't remember exactly. I might be wrong. I mean, it could have been a mammoth for all we know. Because I... Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... It was such a thing. Like, why, why, why did royal just people walking, go walking out walking through to the be market gored? and there's, there's this uh, stag running through and it gores you, right? Like, you sit down on the toilet. Oh, there's a stag. <laughs> they just hate it when you're in the bathroom and this stag just like lifts up the toilet <laughs> and then takes a gore out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, they got the the right to have the Mackenzie clan emblem as this stag, and when they bought the distillery, they were able to bring this across to them. And now, what's important to note as well about the 1860s is the Mackenzie brothers who bought the distillery. They were already distilling spirits before they bought Dalmore. However, Ooh, it was in sneaky. the illicit style. Ah. Illegally done, which was very common practice back then. I mean, as we've said before, illicit distilling was a very, very prevalent thing. Um, I mean, especially in the highlands of Scotland, where you've got all the hills and caves to hide you and things. I'm just picturing, like, someone on a walk, like, just walking past his cave, and these people just, like, hunched over some, like, equipment, just looking, you didn't see anything. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think they were a little bit more remote, so you wouldn't have such chance encounters, but yeah. Um, And the Mackenzie brothers were certainly had that knowledge of distilling a long time, as many distillers did, don't get me wrong. I mean, most, almost all the original distilleries that were set up, they were done by people who were already illegally distilling before and then they just got the license to kind of make it all legal. And that's why most of the distilleries are so successful because they already had that knowledge. The other thing that Mackenzie Brothers were quite well known for was um, actually their kind of pioneering experimentation at the time as well. Now, the the three brothers, you had Charles, Andrew and William. And like I say, they already had this knowledge and they were keen on the experimentation. And one of the things that's really important about Dalmore is because Andrew was such a, a thorough kind of bookkeeper, they actually have records and receipts back from this time, very old-fashioned ones, obviously not like um, Tesco receipts and things like that. Yeah, not like the colloquialism of show me the receipts kind of situation. Andrew's receipts, they actually show that they were buying casks and maturing Dalmore spirit. Even back then, they realised that Dalmore spirit could lend itself to maturation very well. Now, I mean, these days we think of Dalmore as, uh, as, as whiskey's been matured, but back then, uh, spirit was actually sold as raw spirit, basically, what we call new make in bottles. And if it didn't send you blind or kill you, that was the good stuff, and you went back for more. They realised that because Dalmore spirit is actually quite robust, um, and we'll, we'll get to the 
Who Makes Spirit uh, later on. But because it's quite robust, it really does lend itself to the, the, the maturation. And this is one of the big things that they were really keen on experimenting on. And it, it was an idea that was mostly before its time. It really is a big deal. Back in the 1860s and things, it really was common practice to sell this spirit as new make. And, uh, it, and it was bottled like that. So the idea of actually maturing the casks was quite revolutionary for the time kind of thing. Now, talking about Dalmore's spirit, as it comes off the stills, it's actually very spicy. It's very big bodies, has a lovely bit of spice. You get hints of citrus to it as well. Uh, so you get things like nutmeg, cinnamon, ginger, mm. and, and oranges. They're all very prevalent. And, and it's things like that, that when you... How I'm always on about this balance between cask and spirit. So if you have that big spirit, it really can take the cask influence greatly without overpowering at all. If you have a lighter spirit, then you maybe don't want so much cask influence to, uh, to overpower everything. Do you think, like, the first person to decide to age a whiskey with either A, like, ah, oh, oh, wait, didn't we, did we leave the barrel back in? Oh, no. Oh, we're like five towns over. That's a three-day hike. We'll, we'll just leave it for a few years. We're already on the way. Or do you think someone was like, hey, what if we, uh, what if we just left it? What if we just left it in the barrel for a while? And they were like, mm, okay, Dave, but that doesn't sound like a good well, idea. I mean, no one was around at those times. Sorry, actually, if you go like, Dave, David, Tuff. Davith. Davith. And Davith runneth over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For there was no more whiskey for him to consume. Just slightly going off on a thing like that. Um, although there's no kind of official records for when it first happened, they do reckon that cask maturation was an accident because casks were something that were around for a very long time and they're very handy for storing things. So you'd put your spirit in uh, for transport and sometimes that spirit would be forgotten or like you'd have a bad winter and it'd be left in there longer than you intended. And eventually people realised that the longer it's in the casks and certain casks, it would give you certain flavours and things like that. There are no mistakes. Only happy, Only happy accidents. accidents. Exactly. Can't believe Bob Ross invented whiskey. Oh yeah, very well known. What didn't Bob Ross do? Now today, if you if you look at the kind of Dalmore House style that they get, it's it's kind of by the end product, lots of nice kind of rich dark chocolate and orangey flavors kind of thing. Oh, like a Terry's chocolate. Kind orange. of like a Terry's chocolate orange, but a little bit more expensive. Say, ooh, I don't know, about uh, fifty to sixty pounds worth of Terry's chocolate orange with you an could, alcoholic content. You could buy so many Terry's chocolate oranges. <laughs> <How long would you? laughs> Uh, well, these don't melt if you leave them on the radiator. How many times have you left a Terry's chocolate orange on the radiator? Be honest. I now. haven't, but, like, think about it. Hmm? If we were to put a bottle of Dalmore and a Terry's chocolate orange on a radiator right, that was then, on, which mm-hmm. would still be there at the end of the day. Well, technically, the Terry... Wait, are you unwrapping it and putting... Because that's going to be hard to clean. <laughs> Like your room is gonna smell of. Oh, I wouldn't do for it to a radiator. I am. Oh, okay. No, we just like find some random radiator to do the scientific test. Ah, uh, yeah, I do. I do like the radiator. We'd obviously we'd write down the results for science. Well, yeah, that does make it science. Um, I haven't had a Terry Shock orange in years, obviously. Well, what with the milk content, I would hope yeah, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhat unvegan, but they were good. They were good. Yeah, kind of like that chocolate orange shot that I've got. Yes. Again, going off topic, instantly about chocolate. But one of the reasons that you get this is uh, actually to do with Dalmore's stills, unsurprisingly. As I say, casks are important, but the stills very, very important in their own right. Now, all of Dalmore's wash stills have a very flat top right angular design. It's, it basically goes up vertical and then just the, the linen arm goes off. And you're letting a lot more spirit through that kind of rate. I mean, of course, you've got the reflux, but when you've got that right angular design, it's not like it's an inclining uh, linen arm where it'd be a lot harder. Now, the other important thing to know is that on the spirit stills, they actually have water jackets on the necks and and basically so you, you get this water jacket on the outside of the spirit still and it cools the spirit oh it doesn't get cold it got a jacket on well no the jacket cools them with like the worst jacket ever think about it my god that would suck put like a jacket on and then you have like a hose pipe inside running water down it 
Oh, that's horrible. But you know when it's winter and you get snowed on your back? But yeah, uh, and it basically runs down the outside of the still in this water jacket and it, it makes it so that the spirit vapour has a harder time to escape. You see, Dalmore's owned by White and Mackay, which we'll get to later on. But interestingly, one of White and Mackay's other distilleries is uh, Fetcan. And Fetcan, they also have a water ring on the outside that releases water and cools down the spirit. So it's not like Dalmore are the only ones to do this. There's different ways of creating these refluxes and different styles. Does it get particularly warm? What? The spirit. Um, well, when you're boiling it to uh, get the vapours to evaporate, what do you think? No. I think I, I think I zoned out for that bit where you said boiling. <laughs> <laughs> you heat the stills up so that the alcohol evaporates off. Because you then condense the alcohol. So this is how you um, distill. You're purifying, you're, you're getting more of the alcohol and less of the water. That's the idea of distilling. Sorry, um, we're 14 episodes in. How do you think I'm starting to learn things? Hmm... You were doing so well last episode. Was I? I'm pretty sure I was asleep last episode. <laughs> now, uh, this this design is one of the biggest aspects, and obviously this is what gives it that uh, very robust style. Now, skipping forward a, a lot of time, admittedly, we, we get a gentleman called Richard Patterson. Ah, uh, Richard Patterson. Now, I think we've mentioned Richard Patterson before. Maybe. Uh, in, in some of our other episodes. Um, now, he, he works at White and Mackay. Um, he's been there for nearly 50 years, but he's actually been in the, in the whiskey industry itself for, for about 60 years total. Oh, so he's at least 60 years old. Uh, yes, and then some. See, his, Richard Patterson, uh, his father was actually in the spirits industry uh, before. Arguably, if, if you ever get a re- chance to read Richard Patterson's book, it is very, very good. Is this an autobiography? It was basically, uh, his father was in the spirits industry, and he taught him a lot of the skills, although at the time, he, Richard Patterson didn't really have that much interest when he was younger, and it's only later that he actually started to appreciate these things. It's always um, the case with youth. But certainly the knowledge that his father was teaching him at the time came into play a lot in his life. Richard Patterson is a master blender, and blenders, they work with their noses a lot. As we've discussed, they use the computer glasses a lot, they, they, they smell the aromas of the casks and things like that for the maturation. And even amongst all the master blenders, he is considered as the nose in the industry. He has the best nose in the industry. It's like, no, ah, careful, the nose is coming. Like, imagine, like... Richard the Nose sends his regards. Yeah, right. Um, now, White and Mackay, they're actually a blending company, have been for a very long time. That's how they were formed kind of thing. And again, you'll notice this theme of names coming into it. So Mackay, obviously, surnamed White. So the partners that came together, and it's, it's like, this is a theme that you will find in a lot of things. It's like what we're saying about, uh, I mean, even in Irish, you get Jamesons, but you get things like, uh, Johnny Walker, you get uh, teachers, you get Bells, you get Grants. They're all names that started off in the industry and their companies grew around them. And now they're household names, let's face it. Like, you just list a bunch of names that you're like, they're all names. <laughs> it's like... Well, yeah, but as opposed to a brand being named after a distillery or like uh, you get blends like Famous Grouse or Antiquary, uh, as we've talked about before from Tomatin. Oh my gosh, can you imagine someone's name with Antiquary? Hi, I'm Antiquary. Antiquary is actually named after a book. Uh, yes, so uh, White and Mackay and Richard Patterson's been working for, well, like I say, nearly 50 years. Uh, now, White and Mackay, distillery-wise, they own obviously Dalmore, they own Fetakern, as I mentioned, they also own Jura on the Isle of Jura and they own Tamnavulin, which is also a very popular single malt, uh, as well as the blend White and Mackay, funnily enough. Oh, they also do the Shackleton brand, which is probably how this has come about. The Shackleton blend that we've been on about before, where they recovered the original whiskey that they took on the Shackleton expedition, and it's Richard Patterson who uh, got a chance to sample and uh, knows these these like whiskies that they found under the ice and recreated it. I'm begging you to remember that I don't remember anything. Which is what this bottle here is. That's the. Uh... I don't think I've ever seen that bottle a day in my life. Yes, we've talked about it before. No, I don't think I've ever seen it a day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the Shackleton is a blended malt. 
Uh, and that is a really, really nice whiskey, actually. Uh, lovely. If you're ever interested in an old-fashioned kind of style of, of uh, blends, then Shackleton's great because it's a bit more body than you get today. Is Dalmore... <laughs> is Dalmore the one that's done the sherry? No, he did a special sherry, right? Yep. Jumping ahead, yes, we'll get to that. Oh, my gosh. I'm ahead of the time. You mean the sherry that we were literally talking about yesterday? Uh, yes, John, that was yesterday, and today is today, which means I've remembered something for more than three seconds. Huzzah! Yeah, so, okay, we'll just go on to the sherry now, apparently, because you've just jumped ahead a little bit, but not by much, so we'll go on to it now. Yeah, Dalmore Distillery has had a very good working relationship and partnership with a particular sherry bodega in uh, Jerez, which is in Spain, and that's it's part of the Golden Triangle of sherry. Now, the Golden Triangle in, in Spain is where the best sherry... Oh, yeah, yeah, the go- have I never told you about the Golden Triangle? <gasps> oh, the golden triangle of sherry! Immediately, I have created twenty-seven <laughs> pages of it's, deep lore. It's like some kind of conspiracy. Like, oh yes, the golden triangle. The, just imagine all go- casks disappear. Okay, okay. The uh, bodega they use is actually Gonzalez and Baez, and like I say, they've been working with Dalmore for for nearly a hundred years now, and they really have this great working relationship going on. Now, uh, one of the big things Richard was uh, very keen to do when he when he was at Dalmore was he wanted to see how the um, the, the bodegas go about this kind of um, creation of sherry. And, and and the art form that it is, and he was very impressed with with the uh, the, the love and care that goes into these and and uh, some of the older sherries particularly. Gonzales and Baez produce very special sherries. Basically, uh, there's one that they do specially just for Dalmore, which is what you were saying. This is called Methuselum. Uh, Methuselum. Sherry. Methuselum. 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 You've you been say saying that. Methuselum. To yeah, me. but it's Methuselum. They create a sherry specially for Dalmore. Now this is called Methuselum sherry. Uh, it's a mix of Oloroso and Pedro sherry, which uh, mm-hmm. it, they actually use. Eight percent of it is Oloroso and twenty percent is PX. Now, what's important about this is it's also thirty-year-old sherry. Really lovely, rich, fruity, sweet, luxury, indulgent sherry. Can't stress that enough. It's amazing if you get a chance to try it, as I found out. So these casks that have been seasoned by this sherry have held the sherry for thirty years. Now, this is really important because a lot of seasoned sherry casks today, for some whiskey distilleries, they've only held sherry for sometimes months, only a couple of years. So to really get the wood that soaked in. With the sherry, is a really big deal. What's also important is when the casks are shipped to Scotland when they're ready, they're actually shipped whole. They don't break them down. Do they normally break them down? Some distilleries do, some distilleries don't. You see, what the thing is, if you ship casks whole, they obviously take up a lot more space. Yeah. Imagine. Whereas <laughs> if you break them down, you can stack the slats. Yeah. The problem is, if you break them down, obviously the casks, they start to dry out quicker. If you ship them whole, you're, you're keeping all that uh, natural wood in, all that natural flavour in, rather. They also make sure some of the cherry is still in to prevent it drying out. So it's a lot it's a lot more costly, but uh, the end result kind of speaks for itself. And that's one of the reasons why I think Dalmore is a little bit more expensive than some of its contemporaries. They they have this luxury kind of view on the uh, whiskey. I mean, also, as we've discussed, Dalmore puts older whiskey in there just because it's 12 or 15 years old. They also have some, like, 18, 20-year-old whiskey goes into there as well. And a lot of distilleries do this as well, but they're notorious for putting older whiskey in to really give it that, uh, that body and flavour. So, the standard range at Dalmore. <laughs> so. They have a 12-year-old. Now, the 12-year-old is great, don't get me wrong. It's matured in ex-American bourbon casks, and they also finish it in sherry casks. Lovely, lovely whiskey. Don't get me wrong, the 12-year-old's great. But uh, then you get the 15-year-old, which is the one we'll be reviewing later. So, we will gloss over the 15 for now, move on to the 18, which is also matured in ex-American oak and sherry casks. Uh, and it gives you this lovely, great balance of flavour. It's got that age, that depth, that body. Um, that price. <laughs> the whole range is seriously nice, can't be wrong, but when you're talking like 18-year-old Dalmore, oh, special treat whiskey. They also have uh, some older releases as well, which I haven't tried because they're very, very expensive. I mean, when you're talking like 25, 30-year-old Dalmores, they look so pretty. My bank account wouldn't forgive me. 
After that, you get onto some of the expensive releases, as I stated. You then get things like the cigar malt. Now, contrary to popular belief, or some people's questions, certainly, the cigar malt isn't made of cigars. It isn't a smoky whiskey. Um, it isn't exclusively to be drunk while smoking a cigar, because I don't like cigars, but I love the cigar malt. The, the cigar malt was complete abuse of Richard Patterson in a brilliant way. He's a big, big cigar smoker. And when you get to the kind of top of the top, why not abuse your power and create a, a whiskey perfectly for your favourite kind of combination? And... Like I say, I'm not a big cigar smoker. I don't really like them at all. What is with cigars and whiskey? It's it's a really big combination. No, I, no, like it 100 percent is. Like you know, you're smoking your. But the, but uh, the, the with I don't. A lot of people, it, it just works. Mm. Uh, there are there are certain pairings as well that are like classic pairings apparently between certain cigars and certain whiskeys. Uh, particularly big. Big-bodied sherry cask whiskies tend to be very popular with cigar smokers. I'm just saying, it's kind of weird, because if you say, like, oh, yes, I'm pairing this wine with a pizza, it doesn't quite sound the same. No, 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 I'll give you that. But you don't smoke pizzas? You can certainly try. Now, the next one we're discussing is actually the Portwood whiskey. Now, the Portwood was a result of um, Richard Patterson's experimentation with the house style back in the 80s, and he actually tried using tawny port pipes. Now, tawny port is a special kind of port style as opposed to ruby port, where the port is actually matured in these pipes. And it gets a lovely bit of age to it and um, really starts to carry across into the spirit flavour. And it was so it was so successful, it's actually become part of the core range. Now, what's important to note is Dalmore's core range is almost always bottled at bang on 40%, which is the minimum requirement for whiskey, if you remember. Any less, and you can't call it a whiskey. Obviously, I remember that. Um, now, Rich Patterson seems to love Dalmore whiskey being bottled at 40 for that consistency. Uh, he also, now, Dalmore are quite open about this. They actually put a little bit of colouring in their whiskies. Now, I, I always say that, to me, colouring doesn't make a difference. I don't care. For some people, it's that consistency that they love. Dalmore view it as they're making one of the best whiskies. They want to do everything they can. So the bottle is, is lovely. The spirit always looks its best. I can kind of see where they're coming from. If you buy a Rolls Royce, you want it to look shiny or whatever. Mm. So... They have that consistency always. For me, colouring isn't a big deal. However, Richard Patterson has been in the whiskey industry for 60 years, as we said. If he wants to do it that way, fair enough. I'm certainly not going to argue with him. <laughs> be like, I don't like Excuse the way me, Mr. Patterson. Have Mr. you considered just not? I'm upstart Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> I know far more than you, obviously. <laughs> obviously. I And then we get on to the King Alexander, which is a combination of all sorts of different casks where they married together and it creates this wonderful, wonderful whiskey. Now, this is kind of highlighting Richard Patterson's collective knowledge and showcasing some of their best whiskey. So what you're telling me is that this whiskey combined things the same way Alexander the Great did with nations. Well, it does bring a lot of different nations together if you think about it, because you've got, uh, going into there, you've got American bourbon barrels. Now, what's important is they use small batch bourbon barrels for this, which is a lot more quality wood. They use masala casks. They use Cabernet Sauvignon wine casks. They use Madeira casks. They use uh, they use excellent sherry casks as well. And it's the great kind of balance of flavors. So you are getting all those all those countries together. It's it's kind of the United Nations of the whiskies. So 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 the tasting. The, well, no, not quite. We'll talk about Dalmore 15 first because we haven't actually quite covered Dalmore 15. Dalmore 15 is the bottle we're trying. Oh, the whiskey we're trying. We're not drinking the whole bottle, Abby. A good morning. Dalmore 15 matured in American oak casks first, and then it's further matured. In uh, they use these Methuselah casks, they use Amoroso sherry casks, and they use Apostle sherry casks. Now all of these are great old sherry casks, and it's what gives it that body and flavour and style. Dal like I say, Dalmo 12 is lovely, but there's something about the 15. It's got so much more body to it, and it's a great whiskey. It really is. 
It's possibly one of my favourite Gaumors. You've not said favourite and lovely that much this episode. Last it's, it's episode lovely. was really it's, high. It's, it's lovely. It's one of my favourites. It's um, And we're using my Dalmor glass. You know, what is interesting is I'm not getting a stronger sherry smell. <laughs> I, I pick nothing up from that. Okay, so Dalmor 15. Lovely, dark, rich colour, first of all. I mean, even you can agree that's a lovely, dark colour. Certainly get that kind of orangey, orange peel side to it. Nice bit of a, a, a spice on the finish. Look, fruit cakey, rich. It's it's Christmas in a bottle. Let's face it, it is. It's let's Christmas cakey let's face it, folks. We're all thinking it. Yeah, Christmas flavors: cinnamon, charcoal. No, why is, I why I is charcoal a Christmas flavor? The, I'd argue charcoal is a summer flavor. Barbecues, come on. Yeah, but you get charcoal, don't you, from uh, that that creepy guy? It's coal, not charcoal. Very ah, different thing. Dip. Really? Yeah. Charcoal is wood. You didn't know that, did you? I just kind of assumed coal was a shortened way of saying charcoal. <laughs> nope. So, on the aroma. I've been lied to by Santa Claus. <laughs> Rich fruitcakey Christmas cake flavours. Lovely orange peel, a little bit of a spice as well. It's it's autumn and, and winter in a glass together. Together at last. Yeah, you do also get that American oak cask in there. You do get the balance of flavours. It's not all sherry cask. Things like uh, comparing it to Glendronics, now entirely sherry cask material, Glendronics, I've said before. And it is slightly richer than Dalmore. But still, it's this old sherry cask. It really holds its own flavour-wise. It's got a lovely big body to it. Really does coat the mouth lovely. The mouth feel, the texture. Oh, this is like <laughs> literally my least favourite part. <laughs> I hate listening to it after you've edited it as well. I, I can't stand it. It is. It's a lovely big bodied whiskey. Um, rich stewed fruits kind of... Uh, Dates, plums, raisins, I imagine if You've I like those things. You've never had a date, a Dates raisin. kill monkeys. I watched Indiana Jones. That monkey died from dates. I don't know if you've ever had plums. Yeah, I eat plums. I've had plums. I don't like plums. You you don't like fruit. I do. Bananas, apples, bananas. <laughs> bananas, have I mentioned those? Melon, I like melon. Melon's a fruit. Hmm? Hmm? Bananas, the, the flavour of pineapple, not you, pineapple, but the flavour of pineapple. You mentioned bananas four times before you remembered melon, <laughs> a thing you ate earlier. <laughs> bananas, mango, like me some mango, bananas. You are quite picky about mango, though. You don't like berries. The problem with mango, I find, is the skin more than anything. You don't like pears, you don't have to eat the skin, just because I do. Yeah, I know, I do prefer mango, and, and also they can be too juicy, it's a hazard. Pears have a papery texture to the skin, you have to be very careful with pears. I like pear drop sweets. Bananas. Have I mentioned bananas? <laughs> um, there's a lovely... <laughs> Spice-wise, you get... Uh, oh yeah. Bananas. bananas. <laughs> there is this almost like a, a, a lovely oakiness to it. It's like a... Ooh. A, a, a woodman's workshop. Or a woodwoman's... A woodperson's workshop. I was going to say, have some inclusivity for, like, the women and gender-neutral people. A woodperson's workshop where... Oh yeah, you've got shavings and, and you've got the oh the aromas and the, and the the wood and the saws and the bananas hanging in the corner. Yeah, I do particularly like every woodworking shop I've been into, which is clearly many. There's always that one bunch of bananas <laughs> in the corner, and you're like, uh, why is there bananas in the corner? I'm like, well, this is a woodworking shop. <laughs> What's how you age the wood? Obviously, yeah. You gotta give it that banana essence. <laughs> uh, now, being serious for a second. Yeah, um, you get cinnamon to it. You know, it's got this lovely spice. It really does. It's very autumnal, like I say. Yeah, a little bit nutmeggy, maybe. 
if you had cloves in there, you've essentially made a pumpkin spice. Ooh, except for the pumpkin. No, pumpkin spice seasoning, cinnamon, cloves, nutmeg, and ginger. But no pumpkin. Oh, I really could just nose this whiskey all day. The finish, nice and long. One of the big things about Dalmore I have always noticed is it starts off lovely and sweet, and it ends so dry, and, 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 and like this oaky spice comes through. It goes through these two very distinct styles, and I mean, a lot of sherry, a lot of sherry cask whiskeys can give you that oaky spice, but you get all the sweetness at the front of the whiskey almost. It's it's great for that kind of complex side. Don't get me wrong, but you kind of find almost in a way. I don't know. I don't want to say disappointed. That's not fair. Cause it is a wonderful whiskey, but surprised maybe. I suppose would be a, a it's a pleasant surprise sometimes. So yeah, I think that pretty much concludes the tasting. I think we've done rather well there. Anything you want to add to the tasting section? No, I okay. didn't have anything to add to that bit. Questions? Remember. Questions. Questions? All right, let me minimize this so you can't cheat. Do you okay. want me to ask the questions, or are you just going to randomly spin off some facts no. like last time? No, things I know. Okay, go. There's an Alexander involved, not Alexander the Great. There's two Alexanders involved, technically. The stag was um, given by a king from being gored, and it has... Saved 12... from being gored. <laughs> and it has 12 prongs. Yes. Um, they ship their casks whole. The sherry cask hole, yes. Yep. I think they ship the American oak cask hole as well, actually. Um, they are a subsidiary of another company. Not really a subsidiary, but yes, the company owns them. Yep. They are called Dalmor. The distillery is called Dalmor. I think that one's kind of a given. Nope. They colour their whiskey. They do, yes. But like I say, it's one of those things. They do it for a good reason. It's certainly not that the, the spirit needs to be coloured. It's not like it's an inferior spirit and they're trying to pass it off. They just like to ensure that consistency. Yeah, this isn't a you part, this is a me part. Sorry. You be quiet, my time. Um, and they also mix a lot of different things together from different areas. And they use... In... Methuselah sherry. They do use Methuselah sherry, which is specially created for them. It's worth mentioning that that whole thing that you're on about, about them mixing them from all different areas, that was actually there, specifically the King Alexander III version. Ah. Which is, by the way, the king that was saved from the stag goring. Yes. And uh, I think that's everything. Any questions? No, I think you've done very, very well. Yeah, I've, I've done quite well. I've been awake this episode. It's scary. I've had a coffee buzz this episode. Me too. I've made some good lore this episode. Well, well this has been Caskets. Thank you for listening. Oh, it's been Caskets. That's what it says on my t-shirt. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you use it. It really does help, um, and importantly may lead others to discover the show. You can also visit our website or send us an email if you have any questions. The links are within the description below. And as always, we'll leave you with this one, editing goof. Or possibly two this episode. Or possibly two, maybe. Thank you, bye. Thank you, bye. And this is my segment where I'm all by myself. Not talking about whiskey, just gonna be here. Making noise for Jordan to edit. Don't make this into the goof.